Welcome to What Bubbles Up. Pop open your mind and a cold one and get creative with your hosts, Bill and Barry. What bubbles up? What's poppin' everybody and welcome to episode two of this season of What Bubbles Up? Woohoo! The show about ideas. Where do they come from and how do you know when they're truly great? Oh, this is going to be a fun episode, Barry. Yes, yes. Yeah, one, yet another uh, member of the WBU repertory whose past lives are intertwining with ours. <laughs> yes, um, yes. Into the present day. Uh, this is going to be a very wide-reaching conversation about all things user yeah. experience yeah. and all the things that surround that. But before we get into it, the all-important question at hand, Barry, is what are you drinking? Well, I have one I've been saving a little bit here, Phil. So I went into the fridge, and this is the Berkshire Brewing Company Lost Sailor IPA here. It's a, mm. I, I think I, it, it kind of looked good. It has, I like, it's got a matte finish on the label, which attracted me. And it also says, I like the little thing here. It says, you don't need a compass to find your way to our flagship India Pale Ale. This classic British-inspired IPA boasts a well-rounded malt profile, complex floral mm. and citrus aromas, and generous uh, uh, dry hops or something like that. I would wow. describe our guest the same way. There you go. <laughs> okay. So I'm gonna I'm gonna crack this one open. Oh, that'll be good. All right, nice. Phil. What are you drinking? Nice, excellent. Well, our our guest originally hails from Germany, mm. and to honor him, uh, I have something I have actually never tried before. So this is gonna be a first a WBU first first sampling. It's called our daily pills. It's a pilsner, a German style mm. pilsner. Uh, from Basic City Beer in uh, Waynesboro, Virginia, so semi-local to me. Uh, it is an unfiltered Pilsner. Uh, it has a Surgeon General's warning, so I, I know I'm off to a good start. Yes. And uh, only a mere 4.8% by volume. We're oh, recording good. this at a time when I still need to maintain some sense of sobriety after the conversation. So I'm going to pop this open and see what happens. Ooh. All right, fantastic. Oh, there Messy. you go. Okay. Messy. A little bit, a little bit. Mm. All right, Phil, well, why don't you introduce our special guest there once you swallow that one down? Well, What Bubbles Up listeners, very happy to have on the show uh, a man I have come to know as yep. my boss. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he is the chief experience officer for Wong Duty Infosys. He's got a long storied uh, history in, in the space. Yeah. Uh, he's also an entrepreneur and a business owner. Please welcome to the show. Ralph Gehrig. Ralph, welcome to What Bubbles Up. <laughs> Thank you, Phil. Thank you, Barry. Wonderful <laughs> yeah. to be here from yeah. far away London. Yeah. Yes. What are you drinking? What are you drinking on the show? All right. So so as, as Phil said, I'm German and mm. I'm from a little Hessian village and mm. uh, my parents have a butchery and a restaurant and mm. I dislike beer, but I do like cider. <laughs> And ah. I could not find, obviously, the cider from, from home, but I got the original glass. Uh, so this oh. is a typical glass that you would drink cider off in. Is in that Hesse. right? Yeah. Oh. So at least that. Cheers. Oh, excellent. Cheers. Wow. Uh, that is that is amazing. I didn't know that there was a special cider glass. Is there a, 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 does it have any physical properties that enhance the flavor? It's or? incredibly heavy. So I I've, I've no, don't know whether that's a feature or... Oh, or I wonder. <laughs> I wonder. It, maybe it keeps it colder or, or something. That's Maybe, fun. yeah. Yeah, it's awesome. Mm, that's great. Yeah, that's great. Well, but 
That's welcome it. to the show. Very, very happy to have you. So thank you for having me. Yeah. So, you know, uh, we like to start off sometimes with some of our newer guests with something of like a superhero origin story. So uh, <laughs> for those who don't know you very well or haven't seen you on the interwebs or any of the many showcases that uh, Infosys has for you, tell us a little bit about you. How did you get started? Uh, what brought you into the space? A little bit about the businesses. How did you make your way to Infosys? Yeah. So it kind of started a bit with, um, with you know, like I just mentioned, my parents had a had a restaurant and a butchery. So um, they were entrepreneurs, and there was always this kind of entrepreneurial streak that they that they yep. brought uh, yep. brought to me. So you know, starting a business one day was was definitely you know predestined to to, to a degree. And then the other side of the family. Uh, my grandpa was an artist and he did mm. oil paintings. He copied old masters. So we have like 50 old masters hanging around in oil. Awesome. Uh, and he also did calligraphy and he did all the menus for my parents' restaurant over the years. Oh, very cool. And, um, yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, when when I was 12, they got me a computer and said, now's your now's your turn to make <laughs> make menus and posters and wedding invitations and all the things that you need. Mm -hmm. And that's how I got into design and digital um, back, you know, back as a kid. And um, and then when I was 17, started, you know, a little, you know, little design business with a high school friend. And we did, you know, little websites in 1998 and 1999 um, for little restaurants, you know, hotels in the area, stuff like that. Um, and, you know, programming HTML. All those, mm -hmm. all those good things, optimizing for Netscape three and oh yes, oh yeah, like yes, <laughs> remember those? Oh yeah, yeah. that's awesome. Yep. That's, yep, that was that was fun. But you know, I've got, you know, like you know, that's kind of the age. And then um, later studied design in in Darmstadt uh, in Germany, and uh, with my two flatmates um, Simon and Sebastian, still good friends, um, we also did kind of projects for clients to to pay for you know pay for our livelihoods, and mm -hmm. in the end ended up doing you know a system for Lufthansa mm. in PHP. God, oh my yes. goodness, so must wow. have been 2002 or something. Yeah. Um, to manage their to manage their training materials for pilots and the flight crews that they print in like big folders, you know, to to train them. And uh, I just checked earlier; they still use it. Um, oh my no goodness! Way, so. That's awesome. That's <laughs> although that's also scary, I guess. Yeah. But that's scary. To, yeah. yeah. <laughs> But it's, it's all fine. I mean, yeah. yeah. But yeah. Uh, if you ever want to know uh, the the wine selection um, that the crew gives you, I I got the PDF for that. There you go. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. yeah. Longevity. Yeah. That's a test of uh, true, truly great work. Yeah. So, so how did you how did you get from that um, really entrepreneurial kind of thing? You, I mean, that that almost sounds like a combination of a small business mm -hmm. and freelance into i mean where you are right now is really you know one of the big 10 big eight something you know you know large sort of digital consultancies like how, what was the transition from that smaller mm. world into you know enterprise sort of scale that you're in right now yeah i i mean probably you know like many i kind of realized there's kind of a limit how much you can learn mm. and how much you can grow unless you have more people around you that you know have done 
bigger and better things, right? Mm -hmm. So yes, after after uni started in a in a design agency in Germany, and then uh, went to London and joined Sapient. Um, so we're mm. you know. Uh, both yes. of us worked mm -hmm. and um and i really loved it like i loved uh, back in the day uh, it was uh, really fantastic because they really got design like from a mm. business you know proper you know proper product design um experience and that was fantastic like you know i really really blossomed i learned learned incredibly much and um learned you know dealing with bigger clients you know traveling uh to to you know different locations doing things and um yeah that was a really foundational foundational couple of years and um later me and uh, another colleague from from the sapien days we started then our own agency brilliant basics in london mm -hmm. and um and that you know that was kind of the entrepreneurial streak so that was the idea basically look you know we learned we learned ropes uh we can also do that and we can probably do it faster better um for for similar types of clients and um yeah that was 2012 and our first client was hsbc and we did a ton of work for them over the oh, years. Wow. Yeah. Um, you know, the mobile app, tablet app, online banking, websites, ATMs, everything. And um, yeah, really grew incredibly rapidly the business from, you know, a few people, you know, starting with 12, 20, then, you know, starting an office in, in Dubai and in Singapore. And, yeah. you know, was, you know, was uh, really, really stressful and busy but yeah. um was also an amazing time mm -hmm. yeah yeah then, how big did how big did you get then what was like the largest you should have got mm -hmm. as a part of that 50 something like that yeah, yeah. gosh good. that's yeah. awesome with a couple of freelancers yeah. yeah so you know got got to a good a good size and um yeah big enough that that we were able to sell it to to infosys in uh 2017 yeah yeah mm -hmm. Um, it's funny. We yeah. used to fill. I remember Andy Macy at Sapient used to kind of joke that people at Sapient, and I I think I would suspect that you're one of these people too. They're like entrepreneurs who are resting. Is basically what he would sort of say. Because <laughs> people would like yes. they do the they yeah. do the big thing and they get they'd learn new stuff. They'd work on mm -hmm. the large enterprise stuff and then they'd be off in like a startup or they'd be off yeah. in some sort of small thing and then they'd come back. And so I could look at the yo-yo yep. of your career. It's that exact kind of pattern. It's really interesting. Yeah. yeah, we could certainly list all the people that would fall into that category. Many. I won't, I won't name them here, but we know <laughs> what we're talking about. Yeah. Um, the other joke I was going to make is. Better and faster than Sapient? Surely not. No. <laughs> All right. All but, right. There we but, go. But we're back, amongst friends. Back in the day, you know, it was yeah. a different and yeah, it was a different yes. different time. Yeah. But yeah. back then, yeah. you could simply say the word website and money would just magically fall from the sky. <laughs> but now you have to say other words like AI and then magic. And, and, and similar things happen. Well, well I was going to say, I mean, I think it's always sort of fun to kind of talk about the business side and, and kind of the career side. But what what I think it's important for people to kind of recognize is even within some of these companies, because I know all these eras, like you probably mm -hmm. had like your job changed like three or four times, probably mm -hmm. just while you were within Sapien and just while you were in. I mean, how many jobs would you almost say to say that you've had within Infosys and in your stretch there? It's like oh, you have to reinvent yourself every two yeah. years in our business. Right. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, we all do, right? Um, yeah. You know, as you as you kind of grow in the career, but also just 
depending what's what's needed, right? So yeah. you know, I remember doing uh, a ton of spreadsheets on um, revenue reconciliation at some point at Brilliant Basics. You know, like yeah, you know, yeah, exciting. You know, that was the thing we need to sort out that month, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. You mm -hmm. know, or you know, now there's a lot of HR stuff because it's just a big team. Yes. Um, so you you know kind of constantly have to learn learn different things, and uh, you know it's kind of the fun of it, isn't it? Yeah, like, doesn't get boring. Oh, yeah, it's like a shark if it doesn't keep moving, it dies. Uh, just like your your title structure. <laughs> yeah, something like that. Yeah, uh, uh, but the same so, for you guys, isn't it? Like, oh, very yeah, much so. You know? Very much so. Yeah, a hundred percent. A lot of like, HR. I feel well. I feel like. Uh, I the the role that I play within the businesses I've been a part of does evolve probably on on average every two years and it's pretty dramatic some of the shifts I mean it's a, like a really sort of redirection of focus there's core stuff though that stays the same I think sort of like looking looking at problems from like a human centric perspective and sort of like trying to be the outside in voice with clients who are so caught up in their own internal their yeah. internal machine and sort of like, Hey, you remember why you're in business to start with? Cause you're actually trying yeah. to solve that customer's problem. Let's talk right. about them a little bit. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, but, but I don't know, I'm with you. I, that's, what's so fun. I think is, is you kind of get to be creative, but in a lot of different flavors in a lot of different ways. And you learn something from the bad experiences as well as the good ones. Oh, so, very much. So I was going to say, oh, yeah. you know, that old adage, uh, work is easy. People are hard. Uh, yeah. And that's why human experience problems are the fun they problems are. because they're nuanced. They're very individualized. And I think, mm -hmm. you know, you, you've been using this term human experience or HX to really describe, you know, what it is we do collectively and also, you know, as part of the, the job, the gig. So yeah. uh, now we use that term a lot, but it means, I think I'd like to say something very specific for you. So maybe you could just give your spin on how you define HX yeah, as yeah. a practice and as a philosophy. Yeah, I mean, what you know, what all three of us have been doing has had had many names, right? Over over the years, right? I, I remember, you know, my first job was information architecture. Yes, then, yes, right. And there was interaction design or mm -hmm. IX or something. Then there was yeah. UX and then CX and and you know, the current evolution is is HX, human experience design and. I think it just, you know, like it just shows kind of the, the, the growth of our discipline, right? And also the growth of design in, in, um, you know, in the eyes of, of, of the world as well. And, and also of course of clients, because yeah. I remember, you know, like when, when the iPhone came out and, and suddenly, you know, everybody had one, like, you know, that's stopped to be a discussion about the value of design it was kind of mm. obvious. I remember to everybody, you know, what design means, like when yes. it wasn't hardware, but, you know, kind of software design. And um, and human experience, I think, really is about, you know, kind of even the wider aperture, right, that is more inclusive, you know, for, for product service and, and experience design. Um, you know, really looking at at people from a from a more yeah holistic broader perspective not just as customers but you know with all their kind of needs desires and emotions and uh, also even further you know not just designing something for some individuals um but also you know for the communities and the society at large like look at yeah. the impact that that our work has right and how we can shape 
you know, bigger ecosystems um, around, you know, around the particular thing that we're currently shaping. Yeah. Mm. I, I love the language because, um, I mean, just to kind of summarize some of the things that, that I'm really picking up, it a lot of the ways that we sort of thought about it in the past, it was very much around the thing we were making, the interaction design yeah. or the experience design. Or, you know, it's around the business we're trying to, 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 to sort of like create, like customer experience design, right? They're a customer, like they are just money to be sort of like taken. The human aspect of it really, I think, tries to start to center people on how are they feeling? Like, what are they worried about? Like, you know, how can they, how can we sort of interact with them in a very human way, which I would argue is so critical, Right now, where at least I feel like many, many, many conversations I'm engaged in that sort of are teed up as experience design conversations are really about there's this new technology. How do we use it? You're yeah. not yeah. like, what is this person feeling or thinking mm-hmm. or worried about or concerned about? And how do right. we solve that problem? It's more like there's this awesome thing. We've got to be the first to kind of like use it. Let's like use the thing. Right. Yep. And, and so yeah. I, I like anything I'm for anything that kind of centers <laughs> the conversation on the reason we should be making the thing in the first place. Uh, Cause I think that always leads to the right decisions down the road. So Absolutely. I like it. I Very think true. as well, the other thing is really well said. And uh, I think just, just another thing to build on that. The, the you know, I always use this as, as a metaphor, like, you know, it's it's these little tiny design decisions that really make something yeah. work on work for people. You know, why is mm. Duolingo, you know, a big success, and the ten other apps that yeah. do a super similar job, you know, don't. Same with yeah. Uber. Same with you know all the other ones. Mm-hmm. It's small design decisions that someone made to engage someone in this way to you know motivate someone through a particular. You know, not just a design element, but also a wording, a way that you know, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. it's small things, and a collection of small thing things make a big difference. Absolutely. Same thing with music, Barry. Oh, here we go. All right, everyone. <laughs> no, for, for, actually, yeah. Oh, sorry, keep was, going. It's actually just a complete joke and, and a <laughs> little bit of a, of a curveball. All right. Uh, so, excellent. Very good level set. We understand the philosophy. We understand yeah. the pursuit and, and the value it brings. Now, it's about impact. It's impact on society, and it is still. It's too late to say Happy New Year, but it's still early enough in the year that we can still make some predictions. We yes. did that with our previous guests. We want to do that with you and talk mm-hmm. a little bit more about, you know, a subset, maybe three to five trends impacting mm-hmm. our space, the the human space. It's still a human space enabled by technology and um and which of course impacts how we work how we think the crafts that we employ to solve these challenges um the relationship that we have to technology and to the people that are using it around us um so ralph if you if you would if you may uh tell us about a couple of these trends that that you're seeing that you're either writing about or you're talking to clients about Mm -hmm. talking to your team slash our team about uh, that, you know, we need to be really, really mindful of uh, here in Twitter. Yeah, yeah, no, and you know, to chip in as well, what what you guys are seeing. Um, I mean, there's definitely the thing we just discussed. You know, kind of this bigger aperture on on design and what really good design is, and also the fact that 
like the the UI design, the you know, like usability, which was the big topic. I remember in the early two thousands, you know, can we make something as usable? Mm-hmm. Uh, isn't a problem anymore. Like you know, like you know, like even in my son's high school, they they teach the basics of that. Right? It's it's no longer a particular skill. But what remains a big a big skill and a big big challenge, and you know, hence a big a big trend is that big organizations want to be like you know the digital native companies and mm-hmm. you know like i'm you know speaking because that's that's my clients that's that's phil clients and yours as well right a big oh big, yeah you know big organizations and they all you know get still disrupted from the smaller ones and they still get um you know, have the envy of you know the speed um, and and all the good things that the small companies have. But the the big thing for us as designers, I think, is they want to adopt you know a product mindset. They want to be you know much more human centric. They want to be more data driven. They want to really institutionalize also the role of design in their organizations, right? So many of them hiring people like us, yeah. right? And mm-hmm. you know, people like us probably ten years ago wouldn't have joined a big oil company maybe as a maybe not. Kind of yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right? yeah yeah but yeah. now you could right yeah um mm-hmm. you know sure. there's yeah. something to see for that so there's a big trend there definitely and um but it's hard you know like we see hard as you know all of us working in agencies it's it's hard and in a organization you know in a, in a company that isn't you know you know design native right um it's pretty hard right so Very. that's that will always be i think a big a big challenge and yeah it's also bit, but we have an edge as as you know an agency yeah, yeah i definitely i think I I, it's interesting just to apply your human experience kind of like moniker to that i mean i, I think a lot of what you're describing is certainly what I see all the time, right? I'm, I'm constantly talking to enormous companies about how we can help make them behave like a small company or how we can make mm-hmm. them kind of instinctive and reactive like a small company. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of times when we get in there, a lot of the projects are actually about, I mean, the human that I'm actually trying to solve for is the actual employee in the oil yes. company or the right. actual, <laughs> and they're like, how do I get this, you know, aircraft carrier of a uh, company (laughs) to kind of like be a little bit more nimble. And so it's almost the human experience part is a, is a, it's like a dual major, right? Not only are we trying to make sure that we're not just turning the electricity on for the actual end user, but we're also trying to figure out the change management piece of the things that we design and all that. Like, how do you, how do you think about, that kind of like trend, like, are you seeing, like, we are, we are having to couple change management with almost every yeah. actual external yes. customer thing that we're designing now in a way that I was a little rarer before, but I feel like it's mm. just, it's always on now. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I guess it's part of the human experience lens, isn't it? Like mm. it's, you know, yep. because it's, you know, changing people's workflows, changing people's jobs, you know, creating new roles in an organization. Like that's a, that's a big job, right? And that's traditionally what you know the big consultancies would have would have done, but they would have done it really separately from our work, right? So I think the yeah. new bit, like you said, is yeah. that you know these things actually merge together because that is how it would work in a digital native organization. Yeah. Yes. Well, it's also this. Uh, first of all, the analogy I've always loved for this is turning the battleship in a bathtub. 
<laughs> we we know uh, there's a, a mutual a mutual design leader mutual friend of ours uh, that used to use for changing our organization yes and, and yes. think about how hard that is to do when we do this every day let's say we're installing a new instance of oh i don't know salesforce to you know uh you know track track deals yeah and like the the change that comes from that and we do this every day if you're an oil company who's never done this before, imagine how hard it is. What like tossing this so hard, huge hot potato in the lab and saying, "Good luck with all of yeah, these, yeah. you know, million dollar tools. We're out." It's the Bye -bye. sort of that it's there's no set it and forget it anymore. I think yeah, you know, part of being digitally yeah. native is is really appealing to what they're left with. Well, that is, I think, also the product mindset. You know, like in the mm. old days, we would, you know, like you guys remember, like we would do a project. Mm -hmm. We would launch the project mm -hmm. and then bye-bye. Yeah, uh, right. We would go into kind of a maintenance mode, you know, to be yes. kept alive. And yes. now it's a product mindset, right? So, yeah. you know, you release, like, it's more the pace at which you can release something that, that differentiates mm. you as a company. And uh, you want to set up that pace. And and companies, like, most of them get it now. Um, yeah, getting there. That's more yeah. important than the first launch and, you know, just launch and then be a you that that mode is not yeah done that and and the codification of what you've learned and decided together to be used in perpetuity or at least until the next release of some other thing um uh, the 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 playbooks the ways of mm -hmm. working the research uh, toolkits and you know essentially what's how, how can we leave this thing knowing in full confidence that you've got this yeah, uh, that's that's a tricky one. Yeah. That's behavior. That's culture. That, that's behavior. that's the practical thing. Yeah, I, I, it's interesting because I I used to f talk about change management with clients, and they would sort of go like, "Oh, well, we have Bain in here, or we have McKinsey in here, yeah. or, or whatever." But honestly, I don't feel like that comes up that much because they kind of recognize a real significant difference between the kind of practical change management that I'm sure you yeah. all do and we do from the large scale you know talking with the ceo kind of yeah. like b building a big deck thing and so like that that's almost it's more like on street you know on the street level kind of mm. like change management a little bit that's happening yeah. with some of these folks but i don't know i, I like i just designed yeah. you know like yeah. designed change management like it's mm. not um I mean, the worst case, uh, what I've seen once was uh, mouse pads, you know, yes. and uh, oh, the old you know, mouse pads. long training videos. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. You know, that's change management. Scan, scan the yeah. QR code and and take this training. Yeah, yeah. 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 The the day the the uh, the the launch day with the balloons and the uh, and the flowers yeah. and the and the yeah. stale cupcakes. Um, what are some other ones? Let's let's go for another trend uh, yeah. for for this year. Um, something about money. I I don't I can't quite put my finger on it, but money is hard to come by, is what I it's, hear. It is. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. We just 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 tons of money, Phil. I don't know sure. what you're talking about. Buddy. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, go and, ahead, Rob. In Scrooge's money bin. Um, <laughs> yeah. The yeah, definitely. I mean, like. 
so we didn't tell that part of the story, but you know, like um, uh, Wong Dudi, so you know, the company uh, that Phil and I are working at is, yeah, yeah. is part of Infosys, so part yeah. of a big Indian IT technology company. Yeah. And and because a lot of our conversations are with Infosys and with Infosys to clients, the 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 you know kind of the way that Infosys often you know kind of comes into into conversations is from a cost reduction point of view. Mm-hmm. So you know mm-hmm. when the market goes down, you know they they have a good a good value proposition, right? We can you know we can reduce your your cost burden in with many different things. So that's really interesting, and I think that's a bit different from what I've experienced when I worked in you know other agencies before, where your your entry point into a client conversation is you know is often from a creativity <clears throat> angle from a you know design angle first and foremost and here the cost pressure kind of you know kind of leads to really interesting new opportunities and conversations where you say look we can you know we can you know reduce the your cost of evolving this product or to create a new product for example um but we can also uh, through the cost savings, you know, reinvest that into uh, innovation and you know, really driving mm-hmm. the, the quality forward. So that's kind of a really, I think, quite a novel, novel um, way for for designers to to think and talk. And uh, we've had some good success with that. I think that's that's really yeah. interesting. It's really kind of answering a market need, right? Mm, mm, well, mm-hmm. I think of it as part of the pivot that. Um, I think has been going on for a long time where a lot of really smart design decisions are really about business design and, and that kind of thing. And so it's, um, you know, designers have always been, in my opinion, kind of like mislabeled as sort of frivolous and they only care about, you know, the right, right color blue, or I'm going to mm-hmm. pound my shoe until you let me have the font that I want or whatever. <laughs> I don't know. But And, and what I have done it. those. Yeah, yeah, I don't yeah. either. That's my whole point. Yeah. Is is that, well, I don't know, Phil. We both know Phil. So there's one. But you know, Definitely but not. no. I own but, it. I own it. Yeah. No, but uh I guess my point is I actually find that um design gives us an opportunity, a seat at a table when there really are kind of talking about larger, almost like business engineering stuff. Mm-hmm. And okay. what I what I'm sure you guys are doing, and I know what we're doing as well, is you know we talk about offshoring in a very different way these days. We talk about it as almost you know the pandemic has kind of taught us that you need to have mm-hmm. the ability to kind of source from multiple places, right? Supply chains yeah. will break down. I mean, look at our friends who worked at like EPAM and all the kinds of things yeah. that they had to go right. through, kind of craziness with, with some of that stuff. And so, you know, we talk about India, we talk about Brazil as certainly a different ways to kind of apply a different economic level and a different way, sort of investment level. But I mean, we talk, and I'm sure you do too, about the incredible talent that you get there and the value of having a worldview. Like even if you're just designing for a client here in Burlington, Mass, Boston, shout out. Yep. Uh, uh, you're, it's it's actually really cool to have some opinions flying in from Bangalore or exactly. from or yeah. from you know you know Germany and 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 Spain and and everywhere like that. And yeah. I think that that's kind of an interesting interesting value. But yep. when we when we as designers can not just offer up 
different colors, different aesthetics, different kind of like user interaction models, but also kind of different business models. I think it it elevates yes. the role of design in in kind of the eyes of a lot of these clients and gives us permission to talk about a, a whole other sort of range of stuff. Yeah. No, fully, fully agree. And also fully agree on the changing role of, you know, kind of the, the you know, what used to be the offshoring, you know, locations like that's, yeah. that's no longer really the case. And that's definitely not, uh, you know, I hear neither yours nor our philosophy around that anymore. Mm -hmm. And you're right, the diversity of, of backgrounds of thoughts, you know, of experiences that people have around the world is, you know, like if you can have, you know, harness that, that's, that's really valuable. Mm -hmm. And there's kind of a, there's kind of a both sides here. So, so we've, you know, like in our team is 450 designers in, in India in in five studios. And mm -hmm. the, I remember many years ago, you know, back, back at Sapien, for example, uh, like, you know, really decades ago, um Sadly, it was yes. very different you know yeah. and it was yeah you know, oh yeah like you know yep. it was different you know it was difficult to a degree to to collaborate and work together i mean technology also was was a was a hindrance and all that but also culturally it was yep. just a bit you know a bit further different the experiences were quite different the ways of working were quite different and that has converged so much globally yeah so yeah very much you know, so. whether it's yeah. india taiwan um our, our people everywhere everybody uses the same apps everybody uses the same you know the same um the same software patterns like everybody knows what good looks like everybody watches the same netflix shows even so <laughs> yes. culturally yeah the melting that's pot, right you know that's really, really, really happened yeah and what good design is and what a good design approach is and what human-centered means everybody understood now yeah, yeah. Guess, you know so you don't true. have to explain that you know to a graduate no matter where they graduate from yeah and uh, that that's really impressive i think and and hence kind of you know kind of the model of, of globalization and and you know designing globally is is completely different from offshoring so we avoid that term completely yeah i well a couple points one barry if one didn't know any better, it would sound like you ghost wrote the deck that oh. uh, that, that <laughs> well, we put on. But I always assume, Phil, that you just steal all my crap. And so yes, there you go. <laughs> that is very true. How did no, you think no, that segment I, came about? It was because there you go. I practice right. what I preach. But yeah. uh, yes, it's not a cost center and it's not just cost takeout. It's value. It's a value mm -hmm. play. You can get a lot done at yep. the same quality. Yeah, different nuance, different perspective, and at different times. I mean, yeah. who who doesn't Probably want that? And, yeah. And plus, if you're using Figma and you have a li a, a yeah. cloud based library, correct? It's 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 our equivalent of extreme programming. So yeah, who wouldn't want that? Um, and Figma made a big uh, big impact to this, didn't it? Like collaborating, yeah, yeah. You know, it's, it's really fantastic. Um, I mean, you could only dream of that, you know, back in the day when you sent files around. And, yes, you know, yeah, for sure. Servers and not even cloud, yeah. right? We all yeah. have the scars on our back on on yeah. those uh, workflows. But the <laughs> other the other piece is like this this I, I, and <clears throat> I think we you you both touched on it is. Design as a driver of business, which mm. we've been kind of pounding that message for, for a while, but people are starting to get it. But also designers worrying about the business, being concerned mm -hmm. with the business, being able to talk the language of business. I have an old friend who I hope to have on the podcast as well, who's writing a book about this right now. He says, if you are a designer, 
working mm. in a business, you need to be able to speak the language of business, especially mm. if you're a design leader, yeah. which is what yeah. I think our old friend Sue Syed would say was probably one of the bigger failings of some design yep. that they yep. were not able to be business partners. Mm. And so when you're looking at cost pressures and cost containment, cost efficient, whatever you want to say about cost, design can be a, a driver and creator of value in order to contain cost, because what it allows you to do is place safer bets on business decisions because yeah. you can make real things that you can see, you can feel, you can touch and you can interact with. That's how you validate the value of an idea. Exactly. This podcast is about, uh, it's about ideas. This is one way to do it. Design can drive good business decisions. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. There you Absolutely. Go. <clears throat> and that's, you know, like people get that, I think now more and more, right. That's, you know, like, you know, like you probably also got this before. Like I remember even in 2012, we got a hundred page word document requirements document for some new project. That's, you know, a big company wanted implemented a hundred yeah. pages, no diagrams, no yeah. nothing. Yeah. You know? And uh, they clearly spent a year and a half writing this with, you know, 20 BAs or something. And, uh, Mm. I mean, I opened this thing up and now in preparation for the meeting, you can take that apart, you know, on the first page because, you know, just sketch out what they, what they've written, yeah. you know, and just, you know, try to make a, a journey out of it. And it clearly doesn't work because, yeah. you know, like they're asking for something that you only enter in stage three and stage one. Mm -hmm. um, so it's kind of shows kind of, you know, like, you know, like we add a ton of value um, to, you know, really create, you know, an experience and not That's just, right. you know, a set of requirements for a technology thing, even if it isn't an end customer product. Right. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Exactly. So how are you, how, how do you think about, like, if you're th looking at the future, I mean, one of the things that we're sort of talking a lot about is, um, sort of like data-led design and a lot of the sort of the things that we're starting to get really excited about it because we think for years people have sort of talked about data-led design but it really what is it really meant it's meant a slightly richer persona document or a slight or a slightly richer archetype you know what i'm saying mm -hmm. and yeah, slightly yeah. yeah and then but but i actually think that we're now entering a moment here where our work is going to start to look a lot more like what an industrial designer's work has looked like, where someone mm -hmm. sort of like they figure out a part and they're like, I want to come up with like 500 variations to find yeah. out which one has the strongest tensile strength or something like this. And so mm -hmm. you get, you know, the AI engines work out a whole bunch of stuff and they come up with something that looks like it's out of the movie aliens, but it actually yeah. has the least amount of materials and the highest amount of strength. Yeah. Like, how are you sort of thinking about balancing human experience and kind of the human led design with what I think is, you know, we're really finally into now around true yes. sort of data led design. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's kind of the big AI topic, right? That's, you yeah. know, related we have to get to. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, unavoidable. We, yeah. we are unavoidable. required to talk about AI in yes. every podcast. Yes. yes. <laughs> right. Yes. I mean, it would be foolish not to in a way, isn't it? Um, mm -hmm. it's, it clearly is the big, you know, the big yeah. change agent right now and probably will be for, for quite a while. Um, I believe and hope, really do, um, that, you know, the robots will make us more human by yeah. 
you know, taking away the mundane part of the jobs and letting people focus on on the high value stuff and the interesting mm -hmm. stuff and the human stuff. So you don't worry, like you said, about you know the small the small nitty gritty things um, that don't make an impact. But you know, really worry whether you know you're engaging engaging people in a way that is motivating, that you know um, speaks to their emotions, that they have a particular thing, their worries, their etc. And uh, you focus on these things, but also that allow people that allow us to create more personal experiences. Like you, you know, you guys probably did this as well. Like I always look back to, you know, I could open a pitch from two thousand. When was that? Two thousand three for mm. Leica. I probably would have written the same words in there that I would use now. You know. Your experience needs to be really personal. You know, you need to think yeah, of yeah, yeah. journeys. You know, you need to really predict what people want. You know, use digital to create one-to-one -one relationships with the customers. Be really data-driven. Oh my god! You know, all Stop those things. It. But we could never fully do that. <laughs> yeah. Right. You know, like you could never really mm -hmm. get super close to to that. Right. So personalized. Even today, like you know, what we all and and you know, everybody listen to this. You know, what what do you really experience day to day that is really truly personalized? Yeah, the only things that are not just an if statement. You know, if customer is logged in, show this. If you know, customer does this and that, do this. Anything that's more complex than that typically is just content recommendations. Mm, you yeah. know, products, uh, Netflix, the shows that we all see, ads. But that's it. Like that's personalization in 2024, right? So yeah. there's a huge gap between that reality and and I think the yeah. vision and promise that we all have had for yeah. many years what this should be. But I do think we are at a tipping point right now mm -hmm. with with generative AI and conversational experiences and the mm -hmm. ability to just have conversations with websites and conversations with mobile experiences, and to have that be not just a chat bot or sort of like a virtual assistant or something like that, but to actually have it be experiences that in real time render and render and render, which is kind of cool. Yeah. But beyond that, it's basically a business or a brand constantly learning about you and constantly understanding who you are. And so you're going to start to get suggestions. It's not just going to be like, I heard you say something, thus I'm going to show you that thing that's relevant to what you said. It's going to be, putting sort of like connecting the dots and this person seems to have this level of anxiety and maybe we can offer them something literally at a different moment that would kind of sort yeah. of solve that problem. And I think that we're, we're kind of approaching a convergence, which is going to be either really creepy or really interesting and maybe both, but yeah, but I, I, yeah. yeah, but I, mm -hmm. I think that that's sort of, sort of where we're at right now. And that's kind of what makes me excited is I do think we're finally beyond like, you know, Hey, we're going to have this one carousel that'll like be different. Yeah. 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 And yeah. I think people get over creepy pretty quickly if it adds value. It's you know? amazing yeah. how, what I people mean, are willing to give up to get a little yeah. something back in return. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, think of, think of Alexa, you know, Amazon echo, like, you know, tell someone, you know, that we'll put a microphone in each room that's always on like you know like zero acceptance right but you know the value is so great of course you do it yeah 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 i've turned mine off but yes most people would uh would keep them on uh it's mostly because it it talks back to me when i don't uh utter her name so that's a yeah challenge uh, yeah yeah but it also gets back to this notion of a lot of the stuff that we do like physically 
create in order to define an experience have to die. They have mm -hmm. to die uh, yeah. in order to, yeah. to make these things sound like journeys need to die. Personas mm. must, must, yeah, yeah. archetype Love, must die. That. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the, the faster we get past that, I, I think that speaks back to your, your point about, you know, getting rid of the nitty gritty mm. and getting the Bezier curves in your empathy map correct and, and let the thing run and like set the algorithm and just run. Like if, if I never see another journey map again, I'll be pretty happy to be you yeah. know, honest with you. Yeah. Uh, but you know, but what else dies? I think a lot of people worry about their jobs dying. I think people worry yeah. about professional services itself potentially dying. Um, not to skip too far ahead, but is there an anti-pattern here? Is there is there a downside to all this AI stuff that we've been talking about that uh, we need to prepare for? Yeah, I mean, definitely for the business model, right? Uh, not just of agencies, but of any professional services, legal, you know, consulting, all of all of it. Mm. Because you do, I, I think there will still be a level of differentiation, I think, and and you know how fast and how well you can embrace, you know, AI and and really ingest that into your ways of working, into your services that you provide. But yeah, we need to find a different way of charging for that right mm. uh, so it's not just you know it's not just ours um in right. a similar way that you know kind of need to find a different way probably of of taxing probably you know yeah. right visual workers sure. yeah right it's like it's going to be it's going to be a value based thing but yeah. look i sort of look at it through the lens of um People who have been kind of in this creative world for a long time have had to kind of bob and weave a little bit and learn and kind of relearn for a while now. So I think that there's going to be a pretty dramatic shift. Um, but I don't know. So, I mean, maybe we can kind of pivot a little bit to, like, the, literally we're recording here on the day that OpenAI um, sort mm -hmm. of, like, released Sora, I should sort of say, which is their mm -hmm. conversational video generation software, which is crazy cool yeah. Yeah. from a purely sort of like, oh my God, I can't believe they can do that mm. standpoint. Um, but opens up obviously a, a ton of questions. I was sharing it with my son. I was like, hey, check this thing out. And he he works actually in politics. And so he's, you know, he immediately goes to, there's a massive concern around deep fakes and how, yeah. you know, already we have like a whole issue around what's truth and what isn't and that mm -hmm. kind of stuff. Yep. And so like a lot of these things, <clears throat> I mean, we're at a very moment, important moment where I think we've got to kind of look at it from a human experience perspective and not just a technology wonderment yeah. perspective. And frankly, this is me talking to myself to remind yeah. myself that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There were, there were moments today where I was just like, wow, this is amazing. I can literally yeah. like sort of like put in a chat, like Phil, you know, dances with Lady Gaga on Pluto and I could make a video of it and send it to Phil. I so, think you've just written the next prompt. I look uh, forward to seeing the output of, yeah. that, of that, you know. But but it it is it is interesting to kind of think about the the human um experience of that kind of being out there in the world like do we start to sort of cherish things that are beautiful less do we start to yeah. sort of like question everything as sort of like original or not and mm. and i you know i'm not even getting to like how do people's careers and things like that kind of like change i i just sort of think that that's the natural evolution of stuff but 
But we are a little bit living in the, you know, Jeff Goldblum character of Jurassic Park, you know, just because we could, did anyone bother to ask if we should, you know? And so I, every day, I I think that's kind of interesting. And that's the other aspect of human experience. I mean, a lot of us are out there pushing emerging experiences and emerging technologies fast and furiously because they're really, really wow, whiz bang. But yeah. You know, I I think it's important that even we are sort of taking a moment to pause and sort of go like, what is the impact of this on the actual emotional state of humans? Mm. Yeah. No, absolutely. And it's uh, I mean, I was also, you know, really fascinated by by Sora. Like that was uh, it's like the quality is is just amazing. Mm. And then if you see the simplicity of the prompt, yeah, uh, yeah. You know, and you know, like all that comes from five words um, is is yes. just astounding, um, and you can't tell like you really, you know, you really can't. Mm-hmm. Um, so to your to your point about you know what's truth uh, anymore in that in that world, um, I still think. I, I, on one hand, you know, it's just the logical next evolution in a way from, you know, visual effects. So I bet, you know, when, when the first, you know, CGI effects happened in movies, you know, everybody was up in arms that built models, you know, for, right. for Star Wars and yes, things. that did happen. And then, yeah. you know, like it opened up new possibilities that you couldn't have done before, right? Um, so there's something there. But also I'm thinking, you know, I when, when I saw it and I saw the prompts and I thought, okay, so... You know, okay, maybe we can use that in PowerPoints, I thought. And then I thought, my God, if I give that to certain colleagues, they would still probably uh, type in there um, or for a business, you know, title slide for business presentation, you know, two people shaking hands, you know. So you oh, get my God. Quality <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my God. No. But there would be animated yeah. shaking hands. So it would be a plus yeah. up, you know. You get where, this instead of where just my that. head goes is yeah. like I mean you know I I've been talking a lot about like wouldn't it be awesome if literally you have these commerce experiences and with every search just like everything kind of changes and I'm like mm-hmm. you know like literally the future of websites or commerce websites could be a film like you're 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 yes. in a film and you're wandering down an aisle and yeah. then you go like I'm looking for soap and all of a sudden everything in the aisle is soap and it's a film for God's sakes it's not yes. even like yeah. a static thing like this is where we're kind of heading right now where I almost sort of feel like you can kind of create an alternative reality a movie that's like playing along beside you mm-hmm. and you can literally have any of the characters or any of the sort of plot twists or any of the content that you want just sort of like come in there and I don't know if that's a better way to shop or if that's going to be really confusing and existential on my journey to buy a, a bar of soap or if that'll actually be <laughs> useful, but it's possible. Well, so that's the problem. Okay. But that's the problem. I keep getting in love with just the technical possibility of stuff. And then I mm-hmm. I, I need to kind of, I need to, I need to drink your Kool-Aid and sort of go like, what is the actual human experience? Because maybe mm-hmm. all I really want is like a simple picture of a bar of soap and just yeah. a buy button. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Oh gosh. I, I, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> you, you, you do that, you take that, those concepts and apply it to a piece of hardware like the Apple vision pro. Mm. And does that make my experience better? I would say by and large, yes, but I'm also frightened by the guy who was caught using his vision pro while driving his cyber truck. Yeah. I saw that. <laughs> oh my God. True facts. Yeah. And yeah. I'm like, you know, maybe, maybe, Human experience is about slower evolution of certain things, and and um, plus the fact that people are really fucking stupid. Yeah. 
<laughs> He's still smart to... in the real world when you yeah, crash. Yeah, well, you know? well, there you go. That might be... There's no Boma life. Yeah, yeah, that might be the hard clothes. Uh, you still die in the real life, even if uh, you can shop in a virtual aisle in your yeah. in your in your uh, uh you know fake commercial life oh gosh so many so many topics so many possibilities and this conversation could go for a full two hours more but barry i do think it's time to pivot to the steel uh what do you say is it time for the steel yeah yeah all let's right. do it all right so uh thank you so much for this conversation barry of all the things that ralph talked about and we we really talked about a lot and still covered only a little bit of ground. What might you steal for your clients, your teams, your next conversation, your next thought process? Well, it, I, I'm a little bit off topic here, but one of the things that kind of just sort of strikes me is I remember, Phil, you and I in the past have had conversations with certain employers about, should we allow the people who work on our teams to also do a little bit of freelance on the side or some mm -hmm. of that kind of stuff? Sure. And part, part, part I, I, I found my mind wandering a little bit to some of those conversations as I was listening to Ralph talk a, a little bit. And I, and I would argue that part of the thing that formed his value and his perspective as a leader in this business right now is the fact that he kind of ran his own business and he sort of like dealt with his own clients and he sort of figured stuff out as a younger kind of like designer. And, and part of the takeaway for me on that is I just think that is massively valuable. Mm. And I don't think it has to take the form of I started my own business, but I do think it's really interesting if people who work on our teams who are creative people also do have some sort of small sort of side commercial enterprise on the side, it exposes them to the roundness of what mm -hmm. has to be done in our business, that it's more than just, you know, being an artiste or whatever. Right. It is actually, it is actually kind of understand it's a problem solving business. And like, yeah. like what, if you're running a butchery or you're running a small design thing out of your college dorm room with somebody you're still friends with whose name I cannot remember or or you are or you are leading a global company with like 500 people in India um I think that kind of like knowledge is really really powerful and allows you to kind of look at things still from a designer perspective but you look at things through the lens of like how am I helping to design business and design solutions and design um, solutions to problems, which I just think is, is super rich. So like, that's one of the mm -hmm. takeaway, one of the many takeaways that I'm think I'm going to steal from this conversation. Phil, what about you? Gosh, <clears throat> well, that's a great one. Um, it gets this notion of one cross training, which is an analogy you've used before, mm -hmm. like, and Ralph, we were talking about that as well. Like, yep. yes, I'm a designer, but today I have to be an accountant and tomorrow I have to be yeah. an HR partner. And the day after that, I have to be a you know, BD guy. Um, and in your billable role, quote unquote, you don't have mm. to have the time or the luxury of taking a step back and thinking about the world around you. Mm. And so that side hustle gives you that 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 precious space. We were talking about actually in the last conversation with Mari Postal, mm. space making space makes sense. And um, you can't necessarily do that from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. So um, yes, team members, you can have a side gig. Um, <laughs> yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah. but the other thing I'm going to steal, and by the way, I kind of have to steal from Ralph. <laughs> it's kind of part of the job, but, um, but, 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 but more to the point, um, we talk about this a lot, the embrace of the unknown. It's okay to not know 
Uh, and clients really oftentimes pay us to have the answer. Uh, but I always come back to this old aphorism I've, I've used over and over and over again, and still for myself, technology is all about what you know. Creativity is all about what you don't. Mm, mm. And, and if you don't give yourself that space, that time, that, you know, joy and wonder, um, you'll kind of operate in a position of fear and you'll avoid taking risks and you won't be able to push the envelope and you won't be able to know, uh, be able to place a bet. Yeah. So, so, you know, it's, you know, and, and, and a lot of our clients, you know, that especially in the ones that are in extreme belt tightening mode who are in yeah. that fight flight or freeze moment, take flight, my friends take flight because if you don't experiment, if you don't embrace the newness mm. and, and know exactly where not to place a bet, you're going to place the wrong one. So, yeah. Yeah. um, I, 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 I love that notion. You did it with your business. You're doing it, you know, with us every day, Ralph, are you going to steal something from this conversation that, uh, <laughs> maybe from yourself or from us that, uh, you know, is uh, food for thought? Absolutely. I mean, I love, love the, the whole, the whole session and, uh, you know, also just, you know, like, like, you know, discussing these things, you know, with you guys on, you know, like outside of, you know, the day-to-day -day kind of, you know, troubles with, with work and, and projects mm. and, and just getting a wider, you know, kind of stepping back a bit and, and on a meta level, you know, yeah. discuss these things like, you know, like I at least don't do that enough. You know, you guys have your podcast, so you probably do that more more often. And, <laughs> that's why uh, we have. That's, that's why we have the podcast. Exactly. Really. Yeah. Yes. That's how it came about in the first place, right? And, that's right. Yeah. Um, I take that for, definitely because that that's something I don't do enough, mm. and I probably also don't do enough. You know, with with my team, and uh, it's clearly valuable because you know I've kind of unlocked loads of new ideas. Um, you know, to take into Monday. Yeah. Uh, there, there you go. go. Uh, thank you for that. Any anything you want to plug on our collective behalf as uh, fellow uh, employees of Wong Duty, or or just anything? <laughs> maybe a podcast of your own. Maybe ah, uh, yeah, some there's, there's something brewing. Yeah, um, pun intended. Yeah, um, <laughs> nice, nicely done. Yeah, there's something brewing. Um, yeah, maybe we can we can have you on it, you guys, and then we. Hey. You know, and to return the favor and hosting you, uh, that would be fantastic. We would that love would it. Fun. That'd be fun. That'd be, be a fun. lot of fun. Right. All right. Thank you so much, Ralph. Really appreciate the time. Barry, take us home, my man. Oh, take us home. All right. People of Earth, uh, also known as the What Bubbles Up listening audience, the potential listening audience, I should say. Yes. Uh, thank you for uh, spending another uh, chunk of time with us here talking about creativity and all those fun things. Uh, if you haven't subscribed yet, please subscribe and please get your friends and your friends, friends and your friends, friends, mom to subscribe. We need more subscribers. That would be excellent. <laughs> yes, uh, you can find us across, uh, you know, eight different sort of like mega sort of podcast channels here, all thanks to our friends at Spotify. Or, of course, you can find any of the past five years now of podcast episodes by going to whatbubblesup.com. Phil? Absolutely. If you want to get in touch with us, please feel free to do so by emailing us at whatbubblesup at gmail.com, or you can follow us on a bunch of vacant and unpopulated social channels. Thank <laughs> you so much to Ralph Garrick, the Global Chief Experience Officer at Wong Duty. We will see you on the next episode of What Bubbles Up. Cheers. What bubbles up? 
bubbles up. My pee is pumping off my bottle cap. What bubbles up?